I've always been told that you have to choose your battles. And uh, that's probably good advice in marriage. And um, any married people in the room? Yeah, you learned that lesson too, didn't you? Um, in marriage and parenting. However, there were some battles that I've had to fight that I didn't choose. Like I didn't choose to battle cancer. I didn't choose to have marriage challenges. I didn't choose to deal with the disruption of COVID. I didn't choose to battle heartbreak. So there are some battles that we didn't choose, they chose us, right? And I just wanna say to you that you were encouraged and created by design with limitless potential to fulfill what God has put you on the planet to fulfill. However, the path God has for us to walk is not rolled out like a red carpet where we get to walk with ease and enjoying the paparazzi and the photo ops, right? His path for us often involves a battle or two, or 10. So how do we handle the battles that choose us? Because the better we are at learning to battle, the more equipped we're gonna be at winning the fight that we're destined to win. And I just feel like we're in a culture right now where people give up way too easy. And so I'm gonna spend today just encouraging you what it takes to actually win the battles that you're designed to win. Is that okay? And I wish I could tell you that battles come one at a time, but they never do. They come all at once. Doesn't it feel like that? Doesn't it feel like you just finished one and then here comes a fire hose of another challenge and another battle? So let me ask you, what battle are you currently experiencing? Are you facing a challenging time in your marriage? And listen, if you've been married longer than 10 minutes, you've had one of those, all right? Are you worried about the decision that your child is making? Are you Losing the battle of faith? Are you trying to conceive a child? Have you lost your job? Are you wondering if you'll ever get married? Are you uncertain about your career direction or if you're in the right job? Is your health in crisis? Has your heart been broken? Does the fact that millions of people don't know about the love of Jesus motivate you? Does the plight of those in foster care touch you? Are you angered over young people being trafficked? And what, what issue stirs you to action? You see, whether we've been enlisted in a battle or whether we feel like we've been drafted, whether the battle touches us personally or whether we're fighting for a cause greater than ourselves, if we're going to remain unshaken, we actually have to become a warrior. Not warrior, warrior. Psalm 1832 says this, Is not this the God who armed me, then aimed me in the right direction? And that's what I'm suggesting. He's arming you. He's preparing you. He's aiming you in the right direction. And it's not a red carpet kind of life. It's going to be a battle kind of life. Judges chapter 3 says, these are the nations. And before he had listed all these nations, these are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. And so he left some enemies, some challenges, because he said, you guys need to get a little stronger because what's coming is going to be even greater. And so I need to prepare you for what's coming. So I'm just saying, let's get prepared, don't you think? <laughs> He's equipped us. You are able. You are able. He has big plans for us. You know, what a shame if our enemy, if the enemy actually believes more about our potential than we do. Ephesians is a beautiful letter written to the church from the Apostle Paul, actually written while he was in prison, more than likely standing next to or chained to a Roman soldier. Now, the first part of the letter of Ephesians is a beautiful 
reminder of who we are. It's a reminder of our potential. In this letter, Paul is telling us that our eyes would be open to know who God is. He spoke of the greatness of the purpose of God in Christ and the life that should flow from it. And the standards have been set. He gives us standards for personal life and for life and community. And he talks about our home. And yet he wants still to remind his readers that such a life, this beautiful life that's been promised, cannot be lived without a spiritual battle. See, passive people get overtaken by the world, by life, by circumstances. Now, I'm not talking about personality. Calm is good. Passive gets defeated. Passive is ignoring the battle raging and just giving up in defeat, saying, this is too hard. Calm is having peace in the middle of a battle raging. So it's almost if Paul is saying to the church and us, he goes, life is going to hit us hard like a fire hose. So how do I make sure, the apostles ask us, how do I make sure that they stand strong, that the enemy doesn't con them out of their victory? Because this is not a game. He actually puts it like this. He said, this is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. So after this beautiful letter promising this amazing life, he ends Ephesians 6 talking about the armor. Ephesians 6, he begins it like this. He says, finally, it's Ephesians 6, 10. He says, finally, and honestly, this word, it would have been better translated from now on. In the original language, it means from now on. So whatever we did before, that's not going to work. This is our new normal. From now on, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Okay, our job is to put it on. And I'm going to talk about some specific pieces of the armor and what that means. But first, I want to point out, we have to put it on. God doesn't put it on for us. He offers it, and we get to put it on. Just like the clothes in your closet today. They didn't just appear on you. You had to choose them. Or maybe you had help from someone going, don't wear that. (laughs) And another thought, actually, we're never told to take off the armor. I mean, we might think, you know, I'm good. I'm pretty good. I'm feeling good. I don't need to wear this. Bad idea. Keep it on. Okay, so it continues in that scripture. It says, you know, put it on so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Ooh, sometimes it feels like it though, doesn't it? But against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the hev- uh, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Schemes. He says, there's, there's our, you know, we have this, the enemy is scheming against us. He has a strategy. He is not random. He takes my weaknesses, my past. He takes Philip's past and the past of our kids and my friends, and he looks where to push, right? Where to knock me off balance. He has a plan. This is what I would do if I were the enemy. If I was your enemy, I would try to dim your passion. I would dampen your belief in what God can do. I would manipulate your perspective so much that you would focus on the wrong culprit. See, we do have an enemy as much as we feel like it is not the person that you live with. As long as we think it's a person, then we focus on the wrong thing and we fight with the wrong strategy. And we miss the fact that our spiritual enemy is causing destruction. My fight is not with you. Right? Even on social media. Too many of us are fighting each other. 
We have an enemy, and it is not the person posting something. Don't engage in that fight, because it will take energy away from the fights that actually are yours. Right? He equips us for the battles that he has chosen. Only the enemy distracts you with fights that are not your fight. Okay, if I were your enemy, I would devalue how you see yourself so that you would doubt the power of God within you. I would cause you to compare yourself to someone else. Bad idea. Because that only takes us two places, arrogance or insecurity. And it ultimately leads to jealousy, which is a very slippery slope. Remember Cain and Abel, bad situation. If I were the enemy, I would destroy the unity of your family, the church family, and others, turning everyone's love inward on themselves so there would be no uniting in battle against the real enemy. If I were your enemy, I would remind you of your past hurts and mistakes over and over and over and over and over and over and over, so you would be burdened with guilt and shame. If I were your enemy, I would make your fears appear insurmountable, intimidating you with worries and crippling anxiety. And if I were your enemy, I would make you think you were all alone. It's what he does. He's doing all of that. Right? There's always something that you can't see influencing what you can see. You think about the fingerprints of the enemy or jealousy and anger and fear. So Paul is saying to us in this letter, if you want to be able to stand, if you want to remain unshaken, you have to recognize you have an enemy and he's got strategies. So we need a strategy. Right? And that's why Paul is telling us, hello, if you want to live this amazing life, put your armor on. Now the enemy's hoping we're just a little too lazy to do that. And then he says, he says in verse 13, he says, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after having done everything to stand, stand firm then. See, the emphasis is on stand. Paul's concern is for our stability. We can't be wobbly Christians because this makes us praise of the enemy. It's not that we won't experience storms or battles or shaking, but the goal is to stand. I love the picture of that word that's not about a march or an assault, but of holding the fortress of my soul, right? 1 Corinthians 15 says, so now, beloved, stand firm and secure. Live your life, beloved, with unshakable confidence. So continuing on, Ephesians 6, Paul says, stand therefore, hold your ground, having tightened the belt of truth around your loins, having put on the breastplate of integrity and of moral rectitude and right standing with God. All right, so the I'm going to talk right now. The order in which the pieces of armor he's actually describing, and I imagine he's describing it because he's sitting here looking at this Roman soldier that he's chained to, right? And so he's looking at the armor on the soldier. And now the, the order in which the pieces of armor are described is actually the order in which the soldier would put them on. So the first he talks about is the belt, the belt of truth. And it's usually made of leather. And the soldier's belt honestly belonged more to his underwear than his armor, but it was essential. And he would... The soldier put around his waist a very wide belt, which this belt was a holder for every piece of equipment that he would need. There was a loop, for example, for the different kinds of swords. And then there were loops on the the belt for darts. And the belt was tied in several places to stay in place so that no matter how that soldier moved about, up the hills, down the hills, no matter what kind of battle he was engaged in, it never moved. Because if that belt moved, then the weapons wouldn't be where he needed them to be. So it was tied straight. So the belt of truth. Paul is telling us to put it on. Now the word for truth actually means what is true in any matter 
under consideration. The truth. Not a truth. Not your truth. The truth. The truth. God's word is truth. And if we don't use the word of God as our belt of truth, we have no foundation on which to base our warfare, in which to engage in the battles. See, the belt of the soldier held things in place where they needed to be. God's word holds things in place for us. You know, especially when the enemy throws half-truths and false accusations your way. See, the greatest weapon that he has is a lie, right? So he might put thoughts in your head, like, you deserve this sickness. You're not good enough. You'll never solve this problem. You'll always have this addiction. See, if we don't put the belt of truth on, then the rest of our armor won't be in place, and we'll have a really hard time (laughs) getting victory. So the belt held things in place, and God's word does that for us. So put it on. Truth, not your opinion. Not anyone's opinion. Truth. Not what culture says. Truth. You can do this. You'll be stronger than ever. The belt of truth will protect you. Okay, so then he goes on. Ephesians 6 verse 14. Talks about the belt of truth. And then it says, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Also could be called the breastplate of integrity. The breastplate protected the vital organs, including the heart. And no soldier is going into battle without a breastplate. Now, righteousness, that word, it's a big word. It speaks of two things. It speaks of being made right with God. So this is actually what guards my heart. The fact that because of what Jesus did on the cross, I've been made right with God. So there's no condemnation. There's no shame that can come my way because I've been made right with God. It was done already. It was done. But the word righteousness also means integrity, means wholeness, means doing what's right. Any, any Star Trek fans in the room? Okay, I'm all by myself. Thanks for leaving me hanging up here. Whatever. Anyway, I'm a serious Star Trek fan. And there was always something that would happen when they would engage in these battles. And there's big trouble when the integrity of the whole is breached. You know, Kirk, the integrity of the whole is breached. It's important. You know, you don't want the integrity of the whole breached. Well, I don't want the integrity of your soul breached. Right? And that's what the breastplate of righteousness does. Because if it's not protecting you, the next shot could be fatal. So for us, integrity means the shields are up. We gotta live right, align to the best of my ability, align my behavior to the life of God, right? It protects my heart. One shot to the heart can take me out. But when you walk in the righteousness of God, it's a weapon of defense against all those accusations. So put your breastplate on, knowing that you've been made right with God. Your heart's protected because you're his kid. All right, then continuing on to down this armor list. Verse 15, Ephesians 6, verse 15 says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. It's interesting. Some historians and scholars credit the footwear as the greatest reasons why the Roman army was so victorious over its enemies. The Roman soldier was equipped with footwear that had spikes on the soles. It was almost like golf shoes on steroids. Or golf sandals. <laughs> Sand had these spikes. And so that provided them this stance and balance. So and no matter what kind of terrain they walked on or what kind of uh, battle they were in, they, they were stable. They would stand. You know, and I was mentioning to some of the leaders yesterday that I was a, you know, studied karate for a lot of years. And one of the first things that you learn in karate was how to fall. And then the next thing you learn is the stance how to stand because you're going to engage in fights. And if 
something's coming at you, you don't want to be the one that you know, topples over. And so the stance is the most important move, and it's practice first because it's in karate, it's the stance from where the punches come, right? It's, so the stance is important. Well, what this is saying is the shoes, the stance, the stability, actually the peace of Christ gives us that same strong stance. It offers us the balance we need to walk over rough ground, whether it's a bad spot in a marriage or a friendship that's on the rocks or betrayal in the family. It's what holds us steady when the shaking comes. The shoes of the Roman soldier kept him stable. Good idea. It's the same for us. We're not to be led by every emotion that passes through our brain. Emotions are extremely powerful. They just need to be yielded to the truth, right? Just because we feel something doesn't mean we need to act on it. And to be honest, not every attack that we deal with is the enemy. Sometimes it's our own soul. It's our own emotions trying to take the lead, right? But I mean, in the 36 years of leading a church, I've seen so many people get knocked off course because they make decisions based on what they feel. Getting sentimental, listen to me. Getting sentimental about a person or situation can knock you off course. But a warrior is stable enough to be at peace in the storm. Emotions don't take them over. So put your shoes on, those ones that dig deep into the soil. Stand your ground. You got this. Right? His peace will hold you stable. Okay, continuing on, Ephesians 6, 16, it says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, the Romans had this long, it wasn't just like a little shield. No, it was a long one that went like chin, chin to knees to chin. It's this long shield, and it protect, was protecting them from arrows and spears, and they, it, they could kneel behind it in the middle of an arrow when arrows started coming. And oftentimes, it was covered in canvas and then leather and then soaked in water so that when a flaming arrow came, it just got extinguished. Now, it's different you know, from hand-to-hand combat. Because when you're in this kind of a battle, you know, archers can send arrows from far away. And so, so then the soldiers would gather together and they would all get under their shields. It would protect them. Well, faith is our reliance on God for everything. So in this verse, the Roman shield stands for the faith of the believer in the promises of God. Listen, the value of faith lies not in the person exercising it, but the person to whom our faith is in. See, my faith isn't in my ability to do anything. It's in his ability. All right. Are they putting the scriptures on the screen behind me? Okay, so let's all read this together. First John 5, 4. There it is. Okay, I'm going to count to three. We're going to read this all together. All right? One, two, three. Every child of God can defeat the world, and our faith is what gives us this victory. Not our faith in me, our faith in him. You know, every year, I meet new people on a journey towards strength. Some people have been sexually abused. Some are struggling with depression. Some have been orphaned through the loss of a parent. Some have had their careers derailed. I mean, the list goes on and on. That's just the nature of life. But do you know who I see make it through? Those who put their faith in God. Not a method, not a person, not anything else. So keep your shield up. Keep your shield up. And then he goes on, verse 17, Ephesians 6, 
verse 17 says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which I'll get to that in a second. The helmet of salvation. My daughter is a horse girl, always has been. She got it from her dad. They think the smell of a barn and manure is just like perfume. I don't get it. It's their thing. It's awesome. Uh, And years ago, when she was a teenager, she had a horse named Elvis. There you go. And, um, you know, quite a name for a thoroughbred. And on this particularly windy day, she was riding, and Elvis was feeling a bit frisky. And for no apparent reason, he just started bucking. And and she held on through the first buck, but the second one sent her flying. And that's my worst nightmare, right? I'm just watching all this happen. And she landed on her hip, and then her head hit the ground. And I imagine she, she saw a few stars. Well, then the horse just ran for the open gate and then galloped down the road to his stall, and I ran toward Paris. Well, she just jumped up. She was so mad. And then she started running and limping after Elvis. And do you know why she was basically unhurt? She had a helmet on. She had a helmet on. That's just one of the rules in our family and the rules at the barn. Every time she's on the back of a horse, she has a helmet on. And it isn't because it makes a great fashion statement. It isn't because she loves how her hair looks after she takes it off. She wears a helmet because it'll save her life. The helmet of salvation will save ours. And the Romans had the best helmet of the ancient world. They were made of leather and brass or, or bronze and iron. A blow to the head could mean death to a soldier, but no sword could penetrate a good helmet. You and I are to put on the helmet of salvation. It's designed to guard our minds in the midst of a battle, and we're all in one. Our mind has to be protected. Most battles truly begin and end in the mind. The mind is the source of every action we take, every decision we make, and every thought that we allow to linger. Listen, you can't control the first thought that goes through your head, but you can control what you linger on. Right? So the helmet protects us. In the midst of you know, we've been in so many challenges and just life like you, and in the midst of some of the battles and the storms, I found myself, my mind wandering to dark places, places of doubt and fear, right? places of what if? What if this relationship doesn't get restored? What if this disease doesn't go away? What if, what if, what if my helmet wasn't on? The helmet of salvation guards our mind. Put it on. Fear has no place in our mind. Don't give it a minute. And then back to that verse 17. It says, after the helmet of salvation, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's the offensive weapon we have here. Now, Paul spoke of one of five different types of Roman swords. And this one he's talking about is a two-edged sword. And it inflicted more damage than any other sword. Not... Not only was it intended to kill, but it also could rip the enemy's insides to shreds. Sounds disgusting. And and the thing about this kind of sword is it only needed to penetrate one or two inches and it would kill the person. Another advantage to this sword is that the soldier didn't have to turn his sword around to inflict damage on the enemy. No matter where he, how he handled it, it was deadly. And so this is the main offensive weapon in the arsenal listed. It is the weapon that Jesus used when he defeated Satan in the wilderness Now, the other armor that I've mentioned, it protects against attack, but the sword allows us to go on the attack. And our sword is the word of God. See, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he spoke God's words with authority. And God has given us the authority to use his words in our battles. So that's why 
The word of God can't just be a magnet you put on your fridge. Right? It can't just be you scrolling through social media going, that's a good verse. It has to be in your heart. You have to know it because it's your sword. It is what comes out. Right? Someone's fighting fear. And listen, we've all battled fear at different times. What are you going to say when you're afraid? Well, I'm telling you what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, Psalm 118, the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. Right? And when I navigated cancer, I had to go, no, no, no. Exodus 15 says, you are the God who heals me. Right? I couldn't just be scrambling. It had to be in me because the battles would come. And if you're fighting for financial provision, I'm just saying, what are you going to say? I'm not going to tell you. You look it up. You write that down on your heart. When you're dealing with a breakdown in relationship, what are you going to trust God for? What are you going to say? I'm not going to tell you. You look it up. Find your sword. Is it strapped to the belt of truth? Where is it? And let me just remind you about the sword thing. It's actually not to fight each other. And in fact, in, um, hey, Kendall, can I borrow you for a second? Pregnant woman? I should probably should have thought of that. Look at your husband helping you up. He's such a nice person. He was a punk, though. You got him after he's all cleaned up and nice. Okay, so... This is what, sadly, what we often see right now is that people will take, pretend this is your sword, right? So we'll take it and we fight each other like this. Like, but that's actually not what the Roman soldiers did. They would be back to back fighting a common enemy. So that's actually how we're supposed to be doing it, right? Is back to back. I'm guarding your back, you're guarding my back, and as we turn, we're fighting a common enemy. We're not fighting each other. Right? That's what the word is for, to fight the enemy, not each other. Thanks. And then Ephesians 6 kind of ends with some of this thought. It says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions. Now, actually, one way to translate this, it says, pray as you do all this, all of this, putting on the armor, all of our fighting and defending must be with prayer. And it says with all kinds of prayers and requests. And to be honest, this one can be a struggle for me. Sometimes, you know, just in those hard moments, and I, I just remember this one season of our ministry life, which was brutal, and I wanted to quit. I, I hated people, which is not really good. Um, mad at my husband. It was just like, ugh, a hard moment. And I was crying, and I was trying to figure out who I could talk to. And I felt the Spirit of God say, why don't you talk to me? And in that moment, I realized what the strategy of the enemy was for me. To stop my passion for trusting in God so that I wouldn't pray to the only one who could help. You think about it, one of the basic aspects of warfare is to always maintain a line of communication between the troops and military command. And if the enemy blows up the communication post, then soldiers are blind and have no ability to get guidance or reinforcements. I think our spiritual enemy gets very nervous when he sees us praying because he knows we'll be defeated. He'll be defeated as we call on our God. So it's no wonder his strategy is to keep us from praying. Right? Have you ever started to pray and then you get distracted because you think about the 92 things you need to be doing? instead of Yeah, that's, hello, that's his strategy. Keep us from praying. And then Paul 
makes his point really clear at one point. He says this. In 2 Corinthians, he challenges you and me to stay at our post, to stand stable and strong, even in the midst of shaking. In 2 Corinthians 6, he says this. He says, people are watching us as we stay at our post, alertly, unswervingly, in hard times, tough times, bad times, when we're beaten up, jailed, and mobbed, working hard, working late, working without eating, when we're praised, when we're blamed, slandered, and honored, beaten within an inch of our lives, but refusing to die, immersed in tears, yet always filled with deep joy, living on handouts, yet enriching many, having nothing, having it all. He's saying no matter what the situation is, people are watching us stay, stand strong. So he's, he's describing his battle to stand. And I'm just saying maybe you need to have your own stand declaration. Maybe you need to have yours. Here's mine. People are watching me. A generation coming up is watching me as I stand at my post. Aware, steadfastly in hard times and scary times whether finishing a graduate degree, when writing a message, when pain surrounds me and people speak evil of me, when I'm celebrated or criticized, when I'm diagnosed with cancer, when dreams die and people leave having plenty, having nothing, when politicians lie and church leaders fall, when the road seems bleak and the future is unsure, immersed in tears yet trusting God, doing my best to set things right, when I'm praised and when I'm blamed, when I'm alone, when I'm in the middle of friends, when God is displaying his power and when I can't hear his voice. I will stand. People are watching me as I stay at my post. And I just want to invite the team. They're here. <laughs> Hi, guys. And the singer people, too. Invite them up. Worship is one of the most powerful acts of warfare. Psalm 22 says, but you are holy. He's talking to God, obviously. You are holy. You who inhabit. Wait, can you keep the lights up one second? You who inhabit the praises of Israel. You're holy. Now, there was a man named Jehoshaphat. Probably nothing you wanted to name any of your children. And at one point, he was the king of Judah. And he was surrounded by a bunch of ites. You know, the Munites, Ammonites, Moabites, pain in the ites, and they all wanted to destroy him. They all wanted to take him out. And he found himself, I mean, I imagine it was terrifying. And he found himself in a really unexpected battle. There was a lot of new enemies surrounding him, and he didn't have time to come up with a plan. He didn't have time to strategize, read a book, or call a friend. The battle came suddenly. And so he turned his focus the only way he knew to turn it on his God. He didn't get angry with God. He didn't ask, why am I in this battle? He just shifted his focus. And before they planned to march into battle, they all just bowed down and worshiped God. And then he appointed a choir to go before the troops, you know, the praise team, all the cute people, not the people with the swords. He put the, the choir in front because he knew that worship when people worship, then the presence of God is in the room and God will destroy things. But I just want to encourage you with this. If I could just get you to stand up right now. Second Chronicles chapter 20. 
You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions and stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm. This is what Jehoshaphat did. He just stood firm. And then God did what only God can do and confused the enemy. And they got victory. Because he just stood firm and worshiped God. And so I don't know what situation or circumstance you might be in the middle of right now. I don't know what battle you're facing, but if you're sucking in air, you're in some battle. And so can I just encourage you right now, I don't know what you're comfortable doing, and honestly, I don't care. Because we need to see a generation of people, of Christ followers stand strong, right? And so the team, the team is gonna lead us in a song. We've already sung some of it today, but can I just get you to make this your, you can certainly reflect on whatever the Holy Spirit brings to your remembrance about the message, but can I just get you right now to take some time and worship God? Whatever battle you're in the middle of, the words are up here. They're so nice. They put them up here for you. Just worship God. And for me, raising my hand is important because it's just reminding me that he's God and I'm not. So I don't know if that works for you, but whatever it is, just take a moment and let's worship God. And not just say singing a song. This is an act of warfare. Right? So let's let the team lead us.
sanctuary moment, if you will. And I don't know most of you in this room. But I imagine there's some of you in here and if you were honest, you'd have to say you haven't fully surrendered your heart and your life to the love of God. The God who loves you so much that he sent Jesus to pay the price for every sin, every failure, every mistake, every weakness to forgive you for your past and to give you a future filled with hope. Maybe you've never surrendered your heart and your life to this God. Or maybe there's some of you in here and at one point you were following Jesus. But maybe you got a little battle weary. I know that feeling. Maybe you just got battle weary. And if you're honest, you'd have to say you're just kind of sitting down. Maybe you have one foot in and one foot out. You can go through the motions, but in your heart of hearts, if you're honest, you'd have to say you're not following Jesus. You're not going where he's going. Then I just want to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you from here. I'm not going to embarrass you. But if you're in here and for the first time, you're ready to surrender your heart and your life to Jesus, then I'm going to pray for you. Or if you're in here and you know it's time to just get back up one more time, take that next step in following Jesus. Then I want to pray for you. This is your moment. Don't, don't let this moment go by. It doesn't matter what anybody else is doing or thinking. This is your moment with God. Don't let the weight and the struggles and the heaviness of today keep you from the one who can get you through them. So I'm going to pray for you. If it's the first time surrendering your heart and your life to the love of God or you're getting back up again to follow Jesus, then I want to pray for you. I'm just going to count to three and I just want you to put your hand up just so I can see it. So I know who I'm praying for. So if you're ready for the first time saying yes to the love of God or getting back up, don't let this moment pass you by. So I'm going to count to three and then just put your hands up. So I know who I'm praying for. One, two, three. Just put some hands up so I can see it. Great. I see a few over here on this side and in the back. I see four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And over here some and four. Father, I see the hands, most of them. But you know who they are. You know the situation and the circumstance of their life. And I thank you, God, that they were brave and humble, raising their hand and acknowledging their need for you. And I thank you, Father, that from this moment on, they're a new creation. 
they get a chance to walk in the freedom that only you give. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And those of you that raised your hands, you're going to pray it too. Um, and you know, Believing these words as you pray them. But we'll all pray it together because we're a community. So let's all pray this prayer together. Everyone say, Father. All of us. Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for equipping me for battle. And from this moment on, I choose you. I surrender my heart and my life to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well done, family. Well done.